This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Blog Talk Radio. further ado, 
allow me to introduce my comrades on my right. I got my man D. Wills. Holla at the people. Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time. <laughs> I'm reclaiming my time. Well, that was a good one. Game changer was killing this good feedback, man. I, I want to start out by uh, thanking my uh, my guys, uh, Greg, TJ, and Tony over there here at Madison for having me on the day talking about, you know, the big fight coming up this weekend. And, uh, you know, I'm pushing that uh, that RSG uh, brand uh, over their airways, so we really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm just glad to be back, you know, with the fellas. Uh, you know, really gonna put, we're really going to put it on tonight. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that's like when, uh, you know, when you get that uh, Method Man on the Mary J. Blige, you know, that's when the woo goes mainstream. You get ODB on the Mariah Carey uh, uh, boyfriend remix. You know what I'm saying? That's that's when the woo kind of pops his head up and hits the mainstream. Shout out to the folks over at ESPN Madison for, for giving my man D. Wills a platform, giving him a little little shine, uh, and giving some shine to the to the renegade. We appreciate that. Uh, you know, on my left, I got my man 100 grand. CLT Sports PhD. What's happening, Kevin? Fellas, it's good to be back. This is the first time I've been on the air since April. Uh, mm. it, has, it has been a long time. And, and I will tell you all <clears throat> that a lot of our listeners who are also friends have noticed that it's been four months since I've been on the air and they have not reached out to say, hey, man, you've been okay? Has everything been all right? You know, what's going on? You've been sick? What, like, what's up? They all start off, you know what? You still sad about the Cavs losing H. You can't come on the air and talk about it. <laughs> That's how they come back. Oh, man. And, and I will tell, you know, I'll tell them what I told I'll tell you what I told all of them. That is partially true. That is partially true. In the words of the illustrious poet Houdini, friends, how many of us have them? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Talk right. about friends. <laughs> Cat can't just be like busy. Cat gotta be hurt <laughs> over his team losing. <laughs> Well, uh, so I'll, I'll also tell you all that we had those group tech, tech and chats with Justin and Hammer and, and Mo Red and, 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 and Larry Randall and, and everybody else. Um, you know, sometimes some of you guys are a little bit rough on LeBron, and, and you know, that just uh, sometimes I'm not quite – in the headspace to uh, to take that at times. So, and I'm you know, ain't being rough on LeBron, man. Some of y'all some haters. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. They just hate me. They ain't even rough. You know, it's, it's kind of like back when I was in third grade. You know, my mom would be like, "Well, you know, when your friends are joshing you, if you if you if you get upset." That's just going to encourage them to do it even more. Um, so I can't respond a lot of times, you know, because what Jay-Z said, when you argue with a fool from a distance, people can't tell who's who. And so yes, sometimes sir. I see some of, these, 
some of these cats be coming at it for real. Like, yeah, LeBron's not even good enough to make an all-star team. What? Are you? Right. <laughs> what? I mean, uh, I mean, one cat was like, I wouldn't even spend a fifth-round pick on LeBron. Yeah. And, it, and it, yeah. And, see, that's where I, I see me. I'm like the young wildcat in the clique. I'm, I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be saying stuff to the cat that I probably shouldn't be saying. But I'd be coming that cat. <laughs> Is you sober? <laughs> saying something like that? It's usually us tag teaming. We tag teaming them. Just, you know, back to back. You got one side, I got the other. Just, yeah, you got to give them a tumble finger be, sometimes. I can be critical. I can be critical of, of things, but I try to be grounded and I try to be objective. <laughs> And I try to check my biases. And I will call out my, like, you start talking about Kobe, I'm hating. <laughs> you start talking about Dwight Howard, I'm hating. <laughs> I'll tell you straight up, hands and butts about it. I'm going to let you know where I'm coming from so you can walk away from the conversation. Because <laughs> ain't nothing changing my mind on those <laughs> But it's good to have the gang back together. Uh, the, the, the triangle is in full effect. Um, we about to get this going. Uh, we got a couple of topics um, tonight for tonight's pod. We're going to talk about the uh, Kyrie Irving trade. The deal was finalized yesterday, so we're going to dig into the Kyrie Irving trade. Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, NFL and the impact of all of these national anthem protests that are taking place throughout the league right now. Um, and then we're going to get into the McGregor and Mayweather fight this weekend. Um, so we got a lot to dig into. So, fellas, let's go ahead and jump into this. I will start with you, Ph.D. Um, you know, I'm sure when you got the news that Kyrie was demanding a trade, I mean, as a Cavs fan, I'm sure you were shook a little bit just about what does this mean for the franchise, what does this mean for the team immediately, what does this mean for the team in the future? Take us back to when you first heard about Kyrie demanding a trade and what, what, what you were feeling in that moment. I felt sad. I felt hurt. I felt like I – felt, I felt like, hey, we have a good thing here. We've been to the finals three years. You have the best player in the world on your team. If you can get to the finals, you always have a shot. And nothing, nobody in the East, and the Cavs also, like neither one of them have, like the Cavs have not taken a step backwards prior to this, and no one in the East has stepped up enough where anybody can logically feel like the Cavs would have not have made it to the finals again, barring some kind of injury. And all of a sudden, it just got ripped away. And um, I didn't cry, fellas, and I didn't have a tear, but I felt like my like my dog had died. I did. And I was in denial. I was in denial until yesterday. I'm out having dinner, and it comes across ESPN that, the Celtics and and Kyrie. No, it was 
it was earlier in the week. It was Tuesday. And that, you know, they're coming close to getting the deal done. And I just, because I hadn't heard anything for a few weeks, I thought it went away. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I mean, honestly, I sure did. And then initially, I just felt like I thought of all the negatives. Like, wait a minute. You know, Isaiah Thomas, yeah, he averaged 28 points a game last year. He shot similar from the three-point range. Um, But, you know, he can't finish at the rack like Kyrie King, you know, for his size and this, this, and that. And I just kind of focused on the negatives. But then I started thinking about the positives. Um, And getting Jay Crowder, I think, is great. He is a top 10 perimeter uh, wing defender, in my opinion, in the league. Um, And so he can guard Durant for stretches throughout the game or be the primary defender on Durant, which I think one of the reasons the Cavs had so much success in 2016, in addition to Draymond Green's um, poor decision-making, was because, you know, also because LeBron didn't have to spend a whole game exerting a ton of energy on defense. And this past year, he, he did. So I'm more excited about Crowder than I am Thomas. And I feel like the Cavs, I don't think they got worse. If anything, they got a little bit better in my opinion. But it took me a full 24 hours to really come to grips and look at things optimistically. Okay. Well, and, and I, I appreciate I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. As as a true kind of invested fan of a team, it's always good to get that perspective um, on just where you're at with things and how you're feeling about stuff. Um, so I wanted yeah. to kind of talk about – I wanted to kind of talk to get into the actual trade. So Kyrie's traded. He's traded for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, um, Antik Zizic, and a 2018 unprotected first-rounder from Brooklyn. Um, D. Wills, what was your thoughts of just, like, the value of the trade in general? Like, and uh, people want to get into the winners of the trade. I don't want to necessarily get into who won, who didn't win, because a pick is involved in a pretty, um, a pretty high-leverage pick. So until that pick is, is made – and that player turns into something, we don't really know who won this trade, and we won't know who necessarily won this trade for a couple of years. But just the execution of the process and your immediate feelings around, like, okay, how does this trade work for both teams? So you're looking at me to do this? Yeah, I thought I said D. Wills, but maybe I didn't. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't want to jump in because, you know, Phil, Phil was – Phil was hit because the emotional. Like he had the home ground thing going, and I was just like, he had me drawn in. I, yeah. I, felt, like, I felt like I needed to fight harder for him. Uh, yeah. But you, you're right. Uh. You know, game changer. You once you said something that was really interesting. That tech group, I love. They had me crack it up. When you said that uh, the Cavs started this process with three of the possible. So when you space player out there, you know you got to get that four books, and you, the time you're sitting at the table, and you're like, can we even get there? And then you get that four. And but I, and you said, you know, they end up getting four. But I almost think they got five or six books. Somebody just messed up at the hand. And part of this is I, I think was great. And I'm not going to say who won or not. But what I think about the Cavs is what I like. Because I like 
the thing about Isaiah when he brings is I think the offensive part, right, is a wash somewhat. What I think I like about Isaiah versus Kyrie is that I think Isaiah is more comfortable playing off the ball and can be that spot-up shooter. And so LeBron taking that, uh, that position at the point and really solidifying that role and not having tension, I think Isaiah is very comfortable with that. I also think he brings a temperament. And people, I think, um, underestimate temperament. I think Bamani Jones has this saying about some of the players that have that can't-go-back attitude. And I think that's what Isaiah <laughs> – Isaiah has a hungriness and a temperament about him that I think is an upgrade that people aren't going to be able to recognize. Um, I also think he is – he's, he's ultra competitive, and I think he, he cherishes the big moments. He's got something to prove. I think that element for the Cavs in some of these big games they're going to have, I think is going to be very important. The other thing I think I love about uh, Crowder is Crowder brings that junkyard dog piece. I think as Phil said uh, before um, about what he can do on the wing, and I think if, even if you look in the finals, if you really break it down, there were stretches where LeBron just couldn't go to the bench. They, they had no way of getting LeBron to the fourth quarter where he could really be LeBron. And I think someone like Crowder and some of the other picks um, that they picked up, like uh, you know Jeff Green and the D. Roses, I think they create some offense that allows for LeBron to get to the bench in those key moments that they really need to have for him to be able to be LeBron in the four. And I think having ha- and having a full year to prepare and get that rotation is very important. The other thing, I don't want to underestimate the, the 20-year-old. Azizic, I-, I had a chance to, like, really look at this. This is a, this is a Croatian who played uh, in the same league that, that produced uh, Jokic and a couple other key cats who are Croatians who came through um, and is he going to do something? I think he is a piece that might be underestimated. If you have a chance to watch this kid, very athletic, great finisher around the basket, is not just a throw-in. I think he could be a depth player, even if he's giving them some quality minutes. He can be that cat that can block some shots around the rim, very active. He's athletic. Um, and I think that's a piece that can have. So I think the Cavs, I think they're in good shape. I think part of it is they, they're coming into the season seeing these changes. Versus last year, they were making these changes midstream. So Ty Lue in the, in, the, in the group has a chance to actually think about how they want to attack this with this team. They have a preseason. They have the first half of the season to really build an identity. But the other thing they have is I think they've eliminated tension in the locker room that isn't going to allow them – that I think it can, can lead to the kind of things that won't allow them to realize their potential. And I think that is as, as important to them – trying to make a run as anything. So, in some ways, I think the Cavs got some pieces that I never thought they would be able to get in this, and I think it's going to – I think they're going to be better than people anticipate. I think they're going to be, um, you know, can they, can they challenge Golden State? That's remained to be seen. But, you know, LeBron can do a lot with the right teammates. And I think this group is something that could do something that people don't expect. On the other side with Boston – um, I think they got what they needed. I think. Well, let's not let's not go to or, let's not go to Boston yet. Let's not go yeah. to Boston yet because I want to okay. add some thoughts on the Cavs yeah. before we shift gears to Boston. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I like I like your breakdown of the Cavs. I like your breakdown of the Cavs. Um, and again, I like I, I I said it in our in our group chat yesterday. I like the trade for both teams. Um, I think both yeah. teams got exactly what they needed in the moment. 
Um, I don't think either team necessarily gained an advantage. I don't think Boston gained any ground on Cleveland, and I don't think Cleveland lost any ground on Boston, but also didn't necessarily gain any ground on Golden State. And the reason I say that is I still think Cleveland is uh, a third, not a third score. We'll see what Rose can do as a as a as a third facilitator. Um, you know, if you can, can you play Rose, Thomas, and LeBron together? Because I think that's where Rose yeah. have the most value is allowing those two guys to both spend time off the ball. Um, and before it was because of fatigue between LeBron and Kyrie, where I think that's even going to be more of a, 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 a hot issue because Isaiah is so small. Um, so you got to try and limit his his just the, the, the energy that he has to output bringing the ball up. Um, but I think it's a great fit. I actually think Isaiah Thomas is a better fit in Cleveland than Kyrie was. Yeah. Um, wow. And wow. the reason I say that, the reason I say that Please. is because, you know, as a coach, every offseason I kind of try and get better at something and learn something new given what I got going on with my team. And it's just high school basketball, but I, I like to learn the game. Um, and so, actually, this summer I've been studying um, and watching a lot of uh, the Celtics offense and YouTube clips of, of that people, different people that I, I kind of trust as basketball people have put together um, of the Boston Celtic offense under Brad Stevens. And people talk about, you know, Isaiah Thomas being a ball-dominant guard. Um, and I think that's a misconception of who he is and how he's played in Boston and particularly how he flourished last season. Um, you know, there was a, a stat that was put out on Twitter by someone I follow um, last night where they said that last season uh, Ky- Kyrie ISOed over 400 times and Isaiah Thomas ISOed about 250. Um, but that's, that's a product of Boston's offense um, and how they utilize Isaiah Thomas. Um, a lot of their offense, Isaiah Thomas brings the ball up, but then he passes, he sets a screen, he gets a screen, and then gets the ball for dribble handoff or something like that or some similar action like that. Um, and so it wasn't him pounding the ball, shaking and baking, and then going to the basket. He was moving a lot. He was playing a lot of – he yes. spent a lot of the possessions off the ball. So he knows how to play yes. off the ball. You can do some really creative things with him off the ball, um, and he can score because you've got to get him free because he is smaller. So you've got to kind of loosely move him around, have him do some things, and then kind of let him get lost in the shuffle, and then he pops open – you know, and then that, that kind of element of surprise that he has. Um, the other thing that I was really, uh, as I kind of looked at this trade a little bit deeper, you know, people talk about Kyrie's ability, ability to finish at the rim. Isaiah Thomas is a really good finisher at the rim. Um, you know, he, last season, shots within three feet, he was almost 60%. For a dude that's five eight. that ain't bad in the league. You know what yep. I mean? Um, so I, I think he's going to add a dimension where, he can score, and, and, not, and last season was his best season. Last season was his best season, and I've been watching all summer tape of last season of Boston, and, again, rarely did I see him necessarily ISOing um, in the floor of their offense. So I think there's a lot you can do with him where LeBron can have the ball, and it's not going to be this, like, push and pull. When you get guys who score a lot, I think he's going to be able to fit right in off the ball and do some really good stuff while LeBron has the ball, and there won't be that tension that you can kind of see that you kind of saw play out a little bit now. That, and again, this is kind mm-hmm. of hindsight, but it's like when you see two people fighting and arguing and you kind of like, yeah, okay. I could see something there. 
And now that you go back and watch some of those games from the finals, you can see that there's a little bit of this tension between LeBron and Kyrie, where it's like your turn, my turn kind of a deal. And I think that can be avoided with Isaiah Thomas. Um, I think he can be a really good fit. Now, the problem where he is not a fit is defensively. Um, This trade does not help Cleveland defensively because you get Crowder, which I think is helpful. um, So you add a defender, but Kyrie could guard when he was engaged. Um, Isaiah Thomas, by all metrics, and they're still figuring out the defensive metrics in the NBA, but by most metrics, he was the worst rotation player defensively in the NBA. So that's where it could become a problem. And it's not because of lack of effort. He's 5'8", 5'9". I mean, ain't so much you can do when your arms is too short to box with God. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, <laughs> when, you, when you ain't got it, you ain't got it. Um, and so there's a piece of that that I think is a bigger issue than you add in the fact that now – that's why I say can you play him and Rose together because Rose has never been um, an engaged defender – um, but that's also because Rose has also been asked to carry so much of a load offensively for most of his teams that that's just hard to do. And not a lot of guys are talented enough to be able to do that on both ends. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can figure out a way to find some way to marriage, make that a marriage. And then you add in a guy like Corver, who at this point in his career is not going to be a plus defender. It's probably a below average uh, defender. So and, and then you got love. And so then, so then that's where I get a little worried about the short term of the deal. But Crowder's a good player. Everything you said about Isaiah Thomas bringing some grit and some kind of uh, some mo- a different kind of moxie, a cat with a chip on his shoulder, a can't-go-back type of dude, as, as Bomani Jones would say, um, I think all of that is going to add value for Cleveland. Um, I think the pick is going to be really intriguing because if, Bo- if uh, Brooklyn is bad, this draft at the top has some really, really gangster prospects. I mean, some really yeah. strong guys are at the top of this next coming draft. When you talk about uh, the Porter kid that's coming out of Missouri, um, DeAndre Ayton, who's going to – I think he's going to Arizona. Marvin Bagley um, is going to Duke, uh, freshman going to Duke. Another big prospect, there's a kid over in Croatia – um, Luka Doncic, I think his name is, six foot eight point guard. Right. Uh, so there's some guys who are projected to be kind of franchise caliber cornerstone. There are about four or five guys who are projected to be franchise caliber cornerstone types. And then after that, it kind of falls off a little bit, and you get kind of into a typical draft class. So it's really top heavy, um, but at the top is really good projected. You know what I mean? You know how that goes. Um, the guys at the top are projected to be some pretty good players. So if yeah. Brooklyn is kind of good, and that pick turns to a six, seven, eight. Mm. It's not going to be so. It's not going to be as uh, as uh, valuable if Brooklyn is really bad. Um, but Cleveland did do a good job of putting himself in position to flip over the deck, to turn over the garden if uh, if LeBron decides to leave. Um, and PAZ, I want to, I want to, I want to, cause you're, you're, you're our man on the ground in Cleveland, um, or you were our man on the ground in Cleveland. Now you're shifting to VA, but, uh, it, LeBron leaving, right. And I, and I, I got a hammer, I got a hammer about this in the group text last night. Like <laughs> stop listening to non-RSG yeah. folks about LeBron going wherever, because 
every time LeBron becomes a free agent, is he going to yeah. L.A., he going to New York, big market this, big market that. Nobody predicted him going to Cleveland last yeah. time. Nobody predicted him going to Miami the first time. That wasn't all season. Nobody talked about that. It was New York. He's going to be a Nick. He's going to be a Nick. Just like now, it's all L.A., L.A., L.A. He tweeting at Magic Johnson. LeBron ain't no fool. Like, we didn't know he was going mm-hmm. to Cleveland. Man, Dwayne Wade was on a plane with this dude and didn't know he was going to Cleveland until it was too late. <laughs> so, like, to think that he's going to drop all these hints and leave these breadcrumbs about L.A. just tells me he ain't going to L.A. He's going to look mm-hmm. at the landscape and decide what's going to be the best situation. But all this L.A. talk is just to get Laker fans to listen to their shows. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you got to understand the business side of, of sports radio is, the more you talk Lakers, the more you talk Cowboys, the more you talk Yankees, you know what I'm saying, the more you talk Knicks, the more the bigger the audience is. But that ain't a re- I don't see that being a real possibility. Um right. What are your thoughts on what do you think LeBron is going to do? Um and what's like so he's entering like the third phase. So what's that third phase of his basketball career? Like or he's finishing. He's entering the fourth phase, rather, because he's finishing the third with his second stint in Cleveland. He's going to start this fourth chapter of his career, which possibly will be kind of the last chapter um, as he gets into his mid to late thirties. What do you right. think? He, what do you think? Having followed this guy since he was an eighteen-year-old, what do you think are some things that would appeal to thirty-three, thirty-four-year-old LeBron, who's going to be making his decision? For LeBron, it's all about winning. It's all about who's going to give, like, what situation is going to give him the best chance to win over the next two to three years. Because at the end of the day, LeBron wants to go down being as close to the greatest of all time as he can, if not being considered the greatest of all time. And the way that we generally measure measure that is through championships. And he's got three right now. He needs to get another three or four to really to really seriously move over some of the Jordan folks, to even have some of the Jordan folks consider that to be an option. I thought the, the talk of LeBron going to L.A. and definitely even Cleveland that went on last month, I thought it was too premature. I felt that LeBron may stay in Cleveland if Cleveland shows to be the best option for him to win. I think because he's had so much success over the last three years and he came back and he's brought the city and the state of championship, he can go without it being reasonable discourse about him leaving. Last time, the decision, just the fact that he did leave, that was all understandable to a certain degree. Um, I think getting that pick is huge because not only does it give them more flexibility, the Cavs more flexibility um, on the salary cap position, because I don't believe, I mean, Thomas has not gotten paid yet, I don't believe. So it gives them more flexibility there. Also, it gives them flexibility to move that pick um, to bring in somebody midseason. I always thought that was going to be the best way. Like, after they didn't get Paul George, I felt that the best way the Cavs were going to improve, to make meaningful improvement, to catch up to Golden State, was going to have to be through an end-season acquisition. 
And so in some ways they have more um, they have more pieces to make that happen. Um, I think losing Kyrie is big, but getting Thomas and Crowder, I think, fills that void um, at least to where they were at before. So to me it comes down to LeBron wants to win. He has to win. And I don't think LeBron's going to make any decisions until the season's over. Um, that's what he's done the last few times. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you in Cleveland. I would have loved for him to come back to Cleveland. I didn't think that was an option until it was leaked <laughs> that LeBron's coming to Cleveland. I not once thought that was an option. So we won't know. Yeah, and I agree with you one hundred percent. Like I, I just I just wanted people to pump the brakes on the LA talk because it's being drilled into their heads by again the mainstream folks. But I don't believe that that's a real thing and that's a real option. Um, the other piece of it, and you hit it on the head when you talked about his legacy and how he's very conscious of where he stands in the conversation of greatest of all time, and he's a, he's motivated by that. He wants to be the greatest player of all time. That's just how he's wired. And if you go to the West. With even if Lonzo Ball is good and Brandon Ingram is good and they get Paul George or whoever else they think they I still don't see that team beating the Warriors in the next two or three years. So, you know, right now his kind of uh, his kind of saving grace, so to speak, is that he could keep making finals. Um, and even though he may not necessarily be victorious in the finals, he's still creating history and doing something that no one else has ever done before by making all these consecutive finals. Um, if he goes West and you got to face the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals instead of the Finals Finals, um, I don't know. That just doesn't seem like the, the chess move to be made um, is to go there. Now, if, you, if you're going to swing for the fences and like, yeah, I'm just going to swing and see if I can. I'm going to close my – just blind swing, swing as hard as I can and see if I can knock this out of the park, this legacy thing and I'm going to go knock them out before they even get there, um, I guess. But, again, it just it just seems way too – This just the L.A. talk is just some low-hanging fruit, in my opinion. Um, and rarely is that actually the chess move to be made. Go ahead, D. Yeah, and I, and I would say this is where um, LeBron's um, one-year contract with options or whatever – was good to a point. And just like you said, he's entering the fourth quarter. And so if, if, we, if you just follow the logic, I mean, in, in, in Game Changer, you said this, like you really hit the, you drove this home in, in, the, in the last podcast, um, that we, 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 we had to put that all over the airways, uh, that you really drove us home, is that, you know, it's obvious that the East is the way to go, right? The, the best way to beat the Warriors is to let them get beat up and – get to the finals with them worn down and you fresh and you go at them. Like, that's your best option. Because LeBron doesn't have, in the fourth quarter of his career, he doesn't have any years to waste. So the L.A. scenario, even as you described it, feels like even if it works, it's a three-year process. He don't have three years. So if you just look at it like this, so I think the challenge he has now, and this is where his relationship with Gilbert 
becomes more of an issue. Because with this, and, and Phil just said it right, with this pick, if LeBron indicated that he was staying, their options open up. Because you might be able to put Kevin Love in the pick in, a, in something that might get you somebody back at a different level. But Gilbert's not going to do that without a, a sense of certainty. And so I think this is where LeBron has to decide his path earlier, in my mind, to give himself the best options. And I think that's the challenge he has right now, and that goes back to his relationship with Gilbert. If that relationship was somewhat good, you know, even if this trade was made maybe with Griff or somebody in there, if that trust was there, pick they got, and with the possibility moves they can make, he could he could really secure some things up here over the next year with a trade. And I think this is where LeBron is going to have to really think about where he's going to go. Because it's pretty obvious that if he wants to have a legacy, it's got to come from the East. It, 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 there's, people can yell all they want to. It just doesn't let, it's gonna play out. And when, you, when you're sitting at the age he's at, he doesn't have any years to waste. So I think that's, that's where I think he's kind of in a, in, a, in a real tough thing. And it's even worse now that Kyrie's out. Because you can't use that tension in that relationship as a possible reason why he's holding on to making a decision. So that's even eliminated. So now it's really on LeBron to shoulder what he wants that future to be. And if he wants it, he's, he might have to make a decision a little bit sooner than he thinks if he wants to really leverage this pick in a way that might catapult him, particularly if he doesn't end up with a draft pick. You know, I don't know even if getting one of those young kids that he gets is enough for him to do it. I mean, he needs to figure out how to get another veteran stock. Right. And and that's where you know, uh, that's where you're right. He he may have to make a decision sooner than he wants to, um, or else Cleveland doesn't become an option um, because yeah. they're going to clear the deck. You know, they're going to let Isaiah walk. Um, they'll probably wind up trading Love, and that'll be a whole other situation. Um, and it just sucks because I think there there are some. I, I still think Cleveland can be a, a viable, a really good team um, if LeBron stays uh, with the pick, whether they move the pick. They have some pieces yeah. and some stuff to work with. Um, but it's hard for management. And and it, and, it, and, I, I, and I don't fault LeBron at all. I think he's doing the right thing um, because he don't, I don't – I wouldn't trust that. I wouldn't trust that management group. I wouldn't trust ownership there. I just wouldn't. Um, and it's unfortunate that that's the relationship that they have because if they had a different relationship, um, this whole situation could be playing out a little bit more better. The organization could have yeah. a clear um, idea of how to go – had a clear clear idea of how to go about moving Kyrie um, and just where they're going in the future um, over the next couple of years. But, um, yeah, I, I think you're spot on. Um, I want to transition – and, and talk about the Boston side of the trade. Um, Boston was a one seed in the East. They go and, uh, you know, everybody kind of prophesied that it was going to be hard for them to win uh, or make it to the finals with a 5-9 uh, lead dog in Isaiah Thomas. And so they add Gordon Hayward. They bring in Jason Tatum, number three pick in the draft. Um 
they add one of the Morris twins. I don't know which one, but they add one of the Morris twins. <laughs> um, so they 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 trade Avery Bradley. So they shifted some things around, and now they're a different looking team. And then they add Kyrie Irving. They finally cash in one of those picks um, that they have in the vault there, and they turn that pick into a a legitimate superstar. Um, the thing that I want you to kind of shed some light on PhD, Kyrie's game. Um, a lot of folks are either right now seem to be very polarized on Kyrie. Either they are he's a surefire superstar, top ten player in the league, or you know he's only that good because he was playing with LeBron. And when LeBron's not on the court and it's just Kyrie, the team sucks and they never won anything when Kyrie was there before. And this is a little bit overblown and it's too much to give up for Kyrie. Uh, what are your thoughts on just one? Kyrie as an entity, is he a superstar? Is he something else? What are your thoughts on that, PhD? Kyrie is a superstar. Um, he, to me, I believe that Kyrie's ceiling is what we saw from Derrick Rose a few years ago. When he was vying for MVPs and won an MVP. I think that is Kyrie's ceiling. Maybe maybe a bit higher. Maybe. Um, I, I also think that Kyrie has the ability to dominate and win an MVP in a similar way that Steph Curry won an MVP. Um, however, I think if you put Steph Curry on any other team in the league, outside of the Cavs the last three years, I don't think he has two championships. I don't. If he's the best player. And Derrick Rose did not win a championship. I think Kyrie, during the regular season, there were times where Kyrie was the top option and the Cavs lost some really winnable games when LeBron didn't play over the last three years. And that was a cause of concern for me. With LeBron not being on the court, just like with anybody else, you just don't get as good, a look, good as looks. Good, like you just don't get as many good looks. And Kyrie, for a small guy who finishes at the rim, as well as any wing in the league, um, wings that are 6'9", don't finish as well as he does at the rim. Um, however... I feel that defensively, he does not do enough to get other people involved. Um, I felt, but I felt that way about Westbrook last year and the year before. And this past year, he averaged ten assists, and he made some really average guys look better in Oklahoma City. Um, but they were a five or six, seven seed, and I don't see, I don't see Kyrie leading the Celtics as they are to the finals, to a championship. Even if LeBron was not in the East, I still don't think that a team that that he's leading would be good enough to win the East, even with Gordon Hayward. Wow. Okay. Okay. And and I agree with a lot of your points on Kyrie. Um, 
I think he is an amazing offensive talent. Um, but so is Carmelo Anthony. Um, you know, there are a lot, and I, your your analysis and your analogy and your comparison to Steph Curry is spot on. If Steph isn't in that ecosystem uh, with the Warriors, where he's got like all the right kind of other guys around him to do what he does and to make what he does max impact, um, it's not the same. Uh, the thing that I would, the thing that I would be careful about, and the thing that I think I would I'm interested, most interested to see with this is how Kyrie looks in, under Brad Stevenson. Stevenson is a really good yeah. coach. Um, and Stevenson okay. does a lot of interesting things, and he has maxed out, I mean, as, as Bomani says, a bunch of low spades. <laughs> I mean, with, with that Boston team. He's taken a bunch of guys who are, you know, B, B, B minus level players. Um, and even with Isaiah Thomas, you know, he turned Isaiah into a stud. Isaiah Thomas was a good player, a good scoring guard, um, but he, I think, just as much of Isaiah's skill set as Brad's offense is the reason that Isaiah Thomas scored twenty, almost twenty nine, thirty points a game last year um, at five foot nine. Um, I'm interested to see Kyrie in that because. Um, Isaiah can put the Isaiah can get buckets. Um, Kyrie can get buckets. Uh, if I had to say who is more lethal of a score, I give Kyrie a slight edge. Um, it's not a big gap between the two, but there, I think Kyrie is a, a more depth score because, and I hate to say I, I don't want to knock the guy because he's small, but Kyrie's bigger, and you know size allows you to do a little bit more physically, um, which allows you to get in spaces that maybe you can't get into. Otherwise, so I'm interested to see Kyrie in a Brad Stevens offense where Kyrie doesn't isn't so ball dominant, um, and he doesn't have to be because the coach is creating ways for you to get the ball in all these different spots um, where you don't have to do uh, you know a ninety uh, ninety second dribble workout um, to get a open look a clean look, um, and I think that's the growth that I think. I think I think Kyrie was looking for. Um, this could be that opportunity to grow that I think he was looking for where he's going to get pushed to have to learn how to play differently. Like, he can do his Jersey playground stuff all he wants, but that's not going to get him to that level where he can lead a team where a Kyrie Irving team is going to be a real threat for a championship. The, the Jersey playground stuff that he does um, – it's great if somebody else can get you in that moment and then you need Kyrie to drop 35, yeah, that's that's going to get it done. But on a night-in, night-out basis through a seven-game series, his jersey game ain't going ain't gonna to quite get it there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he can make that evolution. But right now, I'm in your camp, Phil. I think he's a great player. I think he's a superstar. I think for sure he's a superstar brand. Um whether or not he gives you superstar value on a nightly basis, I don't know. And D. Wills and I talked about this last time we were on together. Uh, it's different going from that first, going from that second chair to the first chair. Um, now he's going to like the first love seat. Um, it's going to be like a love seat in Boston because <laughs> Stevens likes to wedge as many guys into that like lead role as he can. So you can't like pinpoint and hone in on one particular 
kind of head of the snake. And I think with Hayward there, there's a legitimate, like, 1A um, to Kyrie's 1. Um, and that's what they needed in Boston was a 1. They didn't really have a 1. Like, I think Isaiah Thomas is a 1A or a 2. Um, uh, Hayward probably is really a 2. They're going to try and cast him as a 1A. We're going to see how it goes. Um, but, you know, they're going to have more of a, a love seat rather than a first chair, second chair. They're going to have, like, the little couch. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how how, how that goes. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes because we know the wear and tear. When Shaq left Penny, um, it was hard. It was hard. You know, it was hard for Penny. It was a grind. The physical grind was was a challenge. And so, and Kyrie has shown to be a bit injury prone in general, um, particularly yeah. though when he had to carry the load. He was out a lot. He was out a lot. Um, yeah. So that's the gamble I see in this situation for Boston. Um, but I think the risk is definitely uh, outweighed by the reward of landing somebody who can be a true, like, branding, branded superstar for your franchise. Hayward is a good player, but Hayward's name don't ring out in the barbershop. Um, Hayward's name don't ring – Gordon Hayward's name doesn't ring out on the playground. Um, his name is not going to ring out in an open gym. Um, people are going you, – you, you, you're talking about Kyrie as your best player. People are going to start talking about your team. And not that the Celtics needed that, um, but they needed that. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it's no. not a necessity for the Boston Celtics, but they still needed a face. Um, they still needed a name to brand what they're doing right now and their success. Otherwise, I think they risk kind of falling into that Raptors – Atlanta Hawks kind of territory where they're good, but don't, don't nobody really mess with them like that um, as far as fans go. Um, so in that sense, I think it was a, it was a, it was a good move on uh, Angel's part. And, you know, Golden State in a couple of years is going to have to make some decisions monetarily. And I know they're making a lot of money out there in the Valley, uh, in Silicon Valley out there um, in the Bay but you're going to have to pay Clay Max money. You're going to have to give Dre Max money again in a year or two. So in two years, they're going to have to pay both of those guys again. Um, and then at that time, you're looking at a 27-year-old Kyrie Irving and a more mature Jalen Brown, a more mature Jason Tatum, you know, a 29, 30-year-old Gordon Hayward. That core starts to be look a little bit tougher to deal with, and maybe they're in a position to challenge Golden State. Um, and they still have the Lakers pick next year, which they got by trading back to get Jason Tatum. So Boston is in a good spot because they have set themselves up and kept that and kind of opened their window up a little bit more for after to still be good now, but really targeting like what's happening after the fact with as Golden State starts to age out and their window starts to close. Boston is looking at their window opening up. Uh, you know, with with Tatum, Irving, and Brown, you know, maybe Danny Ainge's got his three dragons. Who knows? Heads <laughs> <laughs> uh, up! I have not watched the most recent episode. Just just a just a heads up. Thank you. I wasn't gonna say nothing about it, but just in case it, it something came out, I, I'm, I'm gonna leave it at that. That's right. I'm gonna send a yeah. shout out. DonkeyTees.com. com out of Ohio. I know the folks that run that place. 
if you're looking for some nice Game of Thrones T-shirts, that's where you need to go. You can get a, you, For $30, you can get two really nice Game of Thrones T-shirts. Yeah, my man PhD hooked me up with a Hodor shirt. And listen, man, Hodor is the realest character ever. Like, it, he's the realest character ever because – he was all about he he was he was all about his task. <laughs> Everybody thought that was his name. Nah, nah, that's what I do. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that's not nah 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 nah. See, I'm 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 the really I'm I'm telling y'all what I do all day. <laughs> Ask me a question, I'm telling you what I do. Hold on. <laughs> Devon, do you watch What's Game that over there? Hold on. No, I, I haven't really got into it, man. I, I've watched a couple episodes. I just really couldn't get my head around it. I, I think it's one of those things where I'm just going to start from the beginning and, and, and watch the seasons. But it, it seems to be I'm into this power thing right now. And, you know, I'm over here, uh, you know, hanging out with 50, you know. And that, so that's 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 where I'm at right now. You know, I'm, I'm over there hanging with 50. Now, PAZ, do you watch power? I do. I do. Um, okay, so you, however, so you have, are you up? Are you up? No, I have not watched a episode this season. I okay, but I've watched all the previous seasons. Then I won't say nothing. Then I won't say nothing. We'll leave it alone. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I'm on, I'm on that power thing. I'm on claws right now. You know, uh, that, that's my new I gotta show. Get claws. Into claws. I gotta get into claws. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I gotta find time. I'm, I'm, I gotta yeah, find time. Like Sunday night yeah, is like so. chill for me, so I can catch. I got DVR everything and then watch it. But the rest That's of the it. week, I, I'm 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 moving and shaking, so I can't really. You know, baller. I don't even know when that you know, come baller. on. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm grouping them. Up. I, you know, I just yeah, I put them on that. You know, I, I put on the DVR and I just hit them all all together. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta watch Insecure if y'all ain't up on that, man. Y'all gotta check that out. Well, I've been well, checking that out. Y'all ain't up on that. With Insecure, yeah, though, you got to start. You got to start with the web series Aqua Black Girl. That's where you got to start. Yeah, yeah. Tell mm. him. Tell him. Tell him. Tell mm. him. Mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, y- y'all yeah. took me to the web series. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna hit you offline yeah. on that one. <laughs> hey, you got to you gotta catch it while it's underground, man. It's like the purple tape. You can't just jump into Wu Tang. Okay. You know, you just jump into Thirty Six Chambers or. Or, you know, only built for Cuban links if you ain't heard the purple tape. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Ooh. You know, I, uh, so my homegirl, TJ, uh, put me on it. And I got to tell you, I liked it. I liked it. Mm. And so I'm, there's, there's, there's two seasons. A awkward black girl, and then they feed right into Insecure. So, uh, and they're like the web series episodes are short. There might be ten or fifteen episodes in the season, but some of them are like ten minutes long. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so PAZ, are you up on this uh, new season of Insecure? No, because I haven't finished. Uh, I haven't finished the second season of the web series yet. I'm, you know, I'm gonna do it in order. Okay, got it, got it, mm-hmm. got it, got it. So I won't say anything about that either. Hey, you can't, <laughs> right? You can't talk about you, it me right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, man, this you know, cat just is not not any fun, man. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. So, where do you guys see Boston stacking up in the East right now after this trade? Uh, 
particularly D. Wills, I want to bring you in. What do you see Boston kind of stacking up in the East? We know we got the they got to contend with the Cavs, um, which is real interesting because you don't really see like two teams at the top of their conference like making a trade with each other. Um, but I don't know, it just was weird. It worked out. They had some stuff that they wanted, and they had some stuff that they wanted. It was like let's swap. Um, but you got Cleveland, you got the Raptors in the mix, you got the Wizards in the mix. Um, you have a young team like Milwaukee who's kind of lurking in the background. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if my, the Miami Heat can continue the success that they had going 31-11 and 11 over the course of the second half of the season last year. Was that a fluke? Is that something real? We know spoken coach, um, but is Deion Waiters really, like, your guy? No, so, where do you see Boston fit? <laughs> Easy answer, right? Easy answer. Nope. Um so where do you see Boston fitting into all of that, and do you think that they can challenge Cleveland, D. Will? Yeah, I think I think they can challenge. I think it's still one and two Cleveland and um, and the Celtics. You know, whether which one says it's first or second will be determined. I think what's great about this move is it's happening at a time that they can come in with a plan. Like I said, with uh, with Cleveland, and so uh, you know what I trust. With and you talked about uh, Stevens, I trust the coaching staff. So I think they're gonna figure out how to make it work. You know, there's gonna be some adjustments, but the adjustments, given that you have a training camp and, and everybody's coming in, is gonna be worked out much earlier with both these teams. So I think Boston is gonna be um, okay. Um, it's not gonna be a question about where they're gonna compete in the East. It's gonna be what are they gonna look like when they enter the playoffs. But if, if we were to finish the season and one of those two teams were not one and two or whatever. I would be totally surprised. Doesn't mean that other teams might not have closed the gap, but if one of those teams aren't sitting at one or two or whatever and have balanced out, I, w- I would be totally surprised. I don't think this trade them at all, but how in terms of closes the ground for Washington or whatever, I would be more upset if I was Washington, Toronto, that they made the trade. But I think Cleveland, I mean, I think uh, uh, the Celtics are going to be fine. Can they beat the Golden State Warriors? That's a whole other thing. But, but they, they, I think they're going to be okay. Okay, okay. Uh, where are you at on this, uh, PAZ? I think the Celtics. Um, the Celtics are. The Celtics will not have as good of a season as they had last year. I don't think they'll be a one seed. <clears throat> I think they will be the second best team in the East. But even even if Cleveland tanks, not tanks, but just doesn't take the regular season seriously, I still think another team is going to creep up and have a better season than um, the Celtics. I think at the end of the season, they'll be the second best team because they have the second most talent. Um, but for the reasons I mentioned earlier, you got me thinking about Brad Stevens. You did. I didn't take that into consideration since you're going to have what it takes. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of lean. Go ahead, D. Wills. Go ahead, D. Wills. The reason why I would comment that is that I think the one thing about Kyrie, I mean, on the regular season, <laughs> Kyrie from night to night is going to be a nightmare. So all the things we said about Kyrie are issues that are going to present itself in a in a – in a in a series, but from night to night, early in the season, when he got something to prove, 
Kyrie might be averaging 35 in the first month, and they could start with, like, three losses. I mean, I think the way the NBA season works, I think the way he plays is going to be advantaged early. Is it going to help him in the playoffs? I think a lot of the criticisms or the things that we have questions about the team are more playoff series kind of questions. But I think the team they got between him and Hayward early in the season, they could start the season on a quick run because Kyrie could carry that first month because he got so much to prove. That, that's the only reason I'm saying that. Yeah, and I, I, I'm kind of in PhD's camp on this one. I, I think they'll be top three. I think they'll be top three. Uh, I think last year they won 52, 53 games. I don't know if they'll get to 50. Um, I don't know if they'll get to 50 wins. And the reason I say that is I do think it's going to take some time for Kyrie to, to – like, this is going to be about his growth. And I don't know how much he wants to grow. Um, I think he wants to be the man. But, again, does he want to be the man and do his jersey thing or does he want to grow as a baller? Um, if he wants to grow, then I think maybe they can be top two. If he doesn't or if he's reluctant – and they waste a month or two just trying to get him on board, then I think, you know, they're a 45 to 48, 49-win team. You know, it's going to cost them a game or two here or there um, in the pecking order in the East. Um, The other piece about it is Hayward didn't play there last year. The Morris kid didn't play there last year. They're going to be counting on two rookies in their forward rotation. Uh, Marcus Smart is going into a bigger role where he might be the starting two or or whatever, he's got to be their new defensive stopper with Avery Bradley gone. Um, they have no depth in the middle because Olenek is gone and Amir Johnson are gone. Um, and then they thought Zizic was going to be a rotation player for them. He's now in Cleveland. Um, so there are some things and some pieces that Boston has still got to figure out as far as who they're going to be as a unit next year. This is a re- like everybody thinks this is the same group that left, that got eliminated. Now, after this trade, this is a very different team, um, so much so that it's going to take them some time to begin to mesh and kind of come together and just figure out how to play the way Stevens wants them to play um, to be what they can be. Um, and, you know, this may be Stevens, uh, this may be a challenge for Brad Stevens. You know, he's, you know, people have kind of solidified him as a really good coach, um, but I think this may be a challenge because you're bringing in an ego. And you have this new mix of egos that he's going to have to manage, plus get them to play the unselfish style of play that he promotes. Um, so there's going to be some real challenges for this team and some real growing. There might be some real growing pains um, that may but cost them. Kyrie led, yeah, but Kyrie led to the Cavs to 33 wins the year before LeBron arrived. Yeah, the East still I mean, wasn't good so, then. I mean, we got – but yeah, but I'm saying he led that. That ain't nothing to write home about. I mean, I, yeah, but I think I'm the saying, Sixers won 33. I think the Sixers that, won that, 28 like games last year. And B played like seven games. <laughs> yeah, but he but he he led. But look at this. He led. That was when he was a young kid. He's 25 with experience. You saying 45 games? I think that's low. I think they're close to 50. The Christmas of Kyrie is about playoffs. I, I, I don't think I think they can win 50 games with Kyrie. But I'll leave it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will, cause I, like I said, I, it depends on what he what he wants to do. It really does, cause he wanted out. Remember, he wanted out. Yeah. He wanted out of the situation in Cleveland for whatever reasons, whatever his reasons were. 
Now he's in a space where he's going to get to do whatever it is he thought he couldn't do in Cleveland, right? Mm-hmm. So he has an agenda, <laughs> right? He has an agenda. He's not coming into this like, I'm just trying to be a part of what's going on. He has an agenda because he asked to leave for reasons. And he, wherever he's going, he's going to be able to fulfill and do, again, he wanted to do whatever he couldn't do in Cleveland, whatever that is, whether it's mm-hmm. off the court stuff, on the court stuff, I don't know what it is because I'm not in his head and I'm, I, don't, I don't know nobody in his camp. But whatever his reasons are, there are reasons. And so that's, if, they're on, if they're basketball reasons, mm-hmm. they may not necessarily align with what's, what, what, what Brad Stevens wants to happen because he ain't choose Boston. Boston wasn't on his list. Boston was not on his list. They certainly weren't winning reasons. Winning was not at the forefront of that decision. Couldn't have been. Right. Couldn't have been. So so leaving Cleveland wasn't about he was tired of winning. He he, he was winning 60 games and he wanted to win 70. Leaving Cleveland was about something else, personal. But he had San Antonio on the list. Yeah, yeah but again, but why? But why? We don't know. We don't know why he yeah. has San Antonio I, on the I'm list. Just, I'm just saying that. <laughs> that all list meant nothing. Teams, I that that list that. meant but nothing. The regular season is different. If he had a no trade clause, Go ahead, PAZ. Yeah, go ahead, PAZ. Yeah, go ahead. If if he had a no trade uh, a no trade clause, that list would have meant something. That yeah. list meant Nothing. 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 I believe that list was more about PR. It was more about other stuff. Because at the end of the day, Cleveland was probably like, yeah, that's cool. We really appreciate you giving this list, but, hey, man, you don't have a no-trade clause, so we're going to make the best possible deal we can make. And if you end up in Sacramento, that's where you're going to end up, <laughs> period. Right. And the only, the, only, the only purpose that list served, in my opinion, the only person that list served, again, I don't know nobody in this kid's camp, in a young man's camp, um, but the thing that it did two things. It kind of sent the message to teams that I might not resign with you, and even though it's after two years. But because of that, that, that he threw that doubt out there. It drove down his value, which then – also made it so that if he did get traded, they, Cleveland wasn't going to be able to, like, Carmelo the other team. Um, like when New York traded for Carmelo and got, like, nine dudes who were all rotation players. Um, and so, like, it was Kyrie's way of kind of throwing himself a life raft in a way, kind of sending a message to the other teams that, hey, uh, these other teams on my list, nobody care about your list. You got two years on the contract, but you got a list. That's cool. You got a list. Um, but what it did say was, hey, Phoenix, if you trade for me, um, I might not stay. Use that as leverage against Cleveland. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it kind of gave like a wink, wink, nod, nod to some of the other teams that maybe wound up because he knew he couldn't control where he was going, but the thing that he could control was his value. And by driving down his own value, he then kind of made it so that the team that traded for him wouldn't have to give up everything because they could say, well, he ain't even saying, we ain't even on his list. You know what I mean? So why we got to give you Jackson and Booker? Right. You know, so that's that's what the list does. That's what the list does. And that's why a player would put that out there like that who doesn't have a no trade or who, you know, even has, like, 
time on their contract is to bring down the value a little bit so that the other team, because that's the other piece about this. Kyrie didn't want to go in. He didn't want to go and just, like, start over. <laughs> he wasn't signing up for that. So, like, that's the other piece about it. Kyrie does remember he won 33 games by himself. <laughs> And Kyrie, he filet mignon for the last couple of years. He wasn't sending it back to Hamburger Helper. Um, he, he 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 knew what he was doing. So, but I I I don't know D. I don't know Devon. I'm not I'm not I'm not all in on. It's an automatic. Boston is going to be. Um, I still think it was a good trade for them, but I don't know if next year they're going to be. Uh, automatic. I think they'll be in the top three because I think the East is bad, and I I think Washington doesn't have a bench. Milwaukee is still growing into themselves and trying to you know figuring out who they are. They still need a second score, and Toronto. I don't know. I I, I don't I don't know. They kind of fall into that Atlanta Hawks. They kind of fall into that Atlanta Hawks. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, yep, you're good every year. I mean, the Clippers, Lob City Clippers. Like you're good every year, but I really don't see you as a threat. Sorry. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yep, you're gonna win fifty two, fifty three games. You're gonna be a top four seed. But yeah, I really don't I'm not really worried about y'all. Not come playoff time. Um, and it's just one of those things with Toronto. And then the rest of the East is really just up for after those after those five teams, Cleveland, Boston, uh, Washington, Milwaukee and uh, Toronto, I don't know what everybody else is on. I really don't. I mean, you know, you could have a seven seed who's sub 500 um, in the East or a six seed or a fifth seed who's barely over 500 in the East going into next season uh, or going into the playoffs next year. So, I mean, if they win 50 games, it'll uh, probably will be because the East is bad and they'll win a lot of conference games against bad teams. But I just don't see and, – and, and they, again, they're going to be a different team next year. Like, they, they were a defensive team, a stout team defensively, but they don't have really any size anymore. Uh, you know, yeah, their backcourt is in flux with Kyrie coming in and you got Marcus Smart. So, we got to, you know, we got to figure that out. They got to figure that out, man. They got to figure that out. <laughs> Um, so you listen to the Real Sports Guys RealSportsGuys.com RSG Renegade Radio We got the illustrious three-man booth In full effect tonight uh, Talking NBA trades uh, We're going to transition this conversation um, I want to give D. Wills a chance D. Wills was recently on the local ESPN ESPN Madison here in Wisconsin The radio talking The McGregor and Mayweather fight Now we're going to have a very different conversation than you had on ESPN, D. But uh, let's have this conversation nonetheless. Um, first off, I just got to ask a question. Why are you even interested in this fight, man? <laughs> oh, oh, why am I interested in this fight? I, I, uh, for me, I just I like the hype. So part of it is the hype, man. But as I said on the, on the, on the show, this is uh, Floyd Mayweather being the David Copperfield of boxing. I mean, what I love about it is he's created an illusion that has people actually believe that he's going to get beat. And I'm just fascinated with it. When I look at the 
at the end of the credits, look, who's the executive producer? Floyd Mayweather. Like, this is people, as I open up the, uh, our conversation by saying, everybody left the Pacquiao fight like, I ain't buying another Mayweather fight. And all these people are going to buy another Mayweather fight. So that's the part <laughs> that gets me crazy about this fight, is that if you and I talked about this, like, we look at this like, what is going on? And he's done it again. And so that's the part that I, I love about this is that I just admire Floyd's ability to hustle. I admire the fact that cats get so caught up with his money team image and don't see the fact that he's never out of shape. He ain't, he don't really do the kind of things that would deteriorate a boxer later's life when you but, look but, at but D, it, pretty D, much his D, lifestyle. D, 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 why are you interested in this fight? Would you watch LeBron like James play one on one? Would you watch LeBron James play one on one against Roger Federer? <laughs> no comparison. No, I, the fight we we know what the fight is about. What I love about what I love about this is everything leading up to the fight. The fight nah, I'm already man, nah, man. This nah man. This is this this is some old. <laughs> I can't even man. <laughs> I've been ignoring this fight all this time, man, because I'm just like, nah, man, you're going to insult my intelligence, man. Like, I, I right now, Floyd Mayweather is trolling the world. <laughs> He's yes. trolling the whole world. This is, come yes. on, man. Come on. And he is. This dude and, don't and, even. And this is the thing. This is the beauty of this, man. I, you'll follow me on this. I, I even think that some of the things that are coming out of these national politics is actually, it's, obviously, it's feeding some of this. Like the belief of some of these people coming from UFC and some of these people coming from these other spaces about Floyd being able to lose, that Conor has a chance, is driven on some other crazy stuff, right? Like it's part of this. Yes. Like if you understand even the UFC space and who is doing that, all of these elements that yeah. we're seeing are part of the yeah. national political picture. If Floyd has found a way Listen, to leverage that, I rolled into I rolled into a BW threes on a UFC night. I I know who in there. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I know it's who about in there. Make America great again. I know who in there? Sure. It's, 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 it, it, you know, it, it, with their it, monster, with their monster, out. monster, monster energy drinks and all that. I, I know who in there. Right? Yes. But that's but again, and, I'm and not, he, I'm not buying yes. that though. I'm not buying into that. And I know you're not. Buying I'm avoiding that. that. I'm avoiding that at all costs. I will not. I will not be going out in mixed company when this fight happens. Period. No, I, I, and I'm with you on that. But you asked me why I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for all those factors. I'm like, how is this brother doing it again? And I love that fact that he's pulling it off again. And hey, that's the part that I love about it. But other than that, I can't wait for triple triple G and Canelo. Uh, I love the fact that right. Uh, and that, uh, that's the fight. Uh, you know, Terrence Crawford fought last week. Baddest fighter coming up. You know, I, I love that. So there's a lot of crazy stuff happening about it, but Floyd is Floyd, man. You know, he's from Michigan, and I love he getting his money from Grand Reps. Other things I can be critical about Floyd, we all can push on him on some of the other behavior. But when it comes to this thing called boxing, he figured out how to be Houdini. Yeah, I'm not mad at him for getting money, and I'm not mad at him for taking fool's money. Um, if a fool going to give you his money, I guess you take it. Um, but yeah, man, this was a, from the jump. I was like, yeah, this is a dumb idea. I'll pass. I'd rather see you fight a bear. How about that? 
know what I'm saying? Like, this is some stuff she thought of when you was like 12. You know what I mean? Like me and my 12-year-old talk. Like who would win between a, a, a tiger and a shark? It doesn't yes. matter. They're never going to fight. Like, they're, they're, they're just two different things. Like, it's just, what's the point? And I feel like that's what this is, man. PAZ, are you interested in this fight? Um, I am. I'm kind of ashamed to say it. It's almost like when I was 30 years old. <laughs> it's almost like when I was 30 years old and the Carter Three came out and I kept hearing all the hype. And then I listened to it. I was like, uh-oh, I'm 30 years old, and I like Lil Wayne. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but the Carter 3 was good. The Carter 3 was good. The Carter 4 was not. <laughs> so you get, there's nothing wrong with liking the Carter 3. The Carter 4, if you like the Carter 4, it's a problem. <laughs> I did like the Carter 4. I know we talked about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. You you was trying to be nice, and I put all my business out there. Right. <laughs> you was trying to be nice. Um, so hey. yeah, I'm gonna watch it, and I, I, I don't. To me, boxing has become. Like, a big Mayweather fight has just become a house party. It has. Whenever Floyd fights, you're going to have people over, you're going to go over to somebody's house, and you're going to have a good time. And so now, given the group that Connor's pulling in, you're going to have a massive party now. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's So I'm, I'm looking forward to it for that reason. I... I I believe Floyd will win, but I do believe that there is a chance he can lose. Yeah, there's a chance he can lose. I mean, like, McGregor can fight. It's not his kind of fight, but he can fight, and anything can happen. I mean, like, you can catch one, you know. Yeah. Anybody can get it. Um, but, yeah. And, and I, do, I, do, I do agree with you on the, on the event, the eventness, eventness. That's not really a word, but I'm going to use it right now. The eventness. Yep. Of yep. a Mayweather fight. Um couple of things. One, there's always a racial component. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like said a couple of things. He he, he played he played that well and he's done that a couple of times. Um and then two, ain't nobody getting knocked out. So you know the fight going all twelve. <laughs> Cause Mayweather just don't do knockouts. You know what I'm saying? Like, he don't knock people out. He's not getting knocked out. It's going to go to the card. So you got, you know, an hour, you know, pre-fight, kick it. You know, during a fight, you got 45 minutes to an hour. And then you got, you know, 30 minutes just, you know, milling around after the fight. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. It's a party. All right. I, I can get with that. You know, this fight, though, I don't know, man. I just I just can't talk myself into it. I've been trying. I really have. I've been trying to talk myself into being interested. Unsuccessfully. I mean, you've been, like, you're doing a very horrible job at it right now. I mean, you, you just don't yeah, convince at all. Nah, I'm not. 
But hey, you guys will tell me about it. See, that's why that's what that that works. That works for me. You guys will just tell me about it, and I'll hear about it on on all the sports talk radio. And it was like I was there, and it was like I it would be like I was actually interested, but I'm not. <laughs> like you were there without the hangover. Yeah. Right, and without dropping a hundred and twenty bucks on the, or, or chipping into somebody else's. Yeah, hangovers are nasty now, man. Hangovers are are I, I used to never get them. Um, and a few mm-hmm. times I don't, I don't, I don't really, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not that type of dude where I kick it hard anyway, but maybe that's the problem. But, uh, yeah, when I, when I do try to stretch my legs a little bit out, out in the streets, man, um, it catches up with you in a way that it didn't used to catch up yeah, with me yeah. back in the day. <laughs> it's a young man's game. <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs>
some watch, watch. And when something crazy happens, y'all gonna just look up at the ceiling and you're gonna see me laughing. You're gonna see a you're gonna see a hologram of me laughing. Like I told you. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna see the game change your hologram. <laughs> But just watch. Just watch. In the words of my man Trinidad James, don't believe me, just watch. <laughs> so we got about five minutes left, gentlemen. Um and I don't want to jam a, a, a really deep conversation in, but I do just want to get your thoughts on two things. One is just the increased I won't say increased, but just the uh the more I won't say elaborate either. That's not the right term either. But just the more visible displays during national anthems for the NFL. And then Michael Bennett, um, his comments on the Six Sports Center with Jamel Hill and Michael Smith, where he came out and said, you know, this will become more, the pro anthem protest will become more impactful if white players get involved. Um, and again, this is a lot to chew on in, in the, about six minutes. But um, first, just what are your thoughts on the idea that, or what are your thoughts on the increased visibility of the anthem protest, and how do you think this is going to impact the NFL? Um, because on both sides of this issue, you have people threatening to boycott, right? You have a certain population that's threatening to boycott, if the protests continue, and then you have another population that is threatening to boycott or is boycotting um, because of the NFL's treatment of Colin Kaepernick. Um, how is this going to impact the, the, the business side, which is what they were so concerned about, um, the economics of the NFL? How will this be impacted, PhD, or how do you think it will be impacted? Well, I personally I've been torn because I love fantasy football. Fantasy football to me is the biggest sport that I watch now and takes part of. More than NFL, like more than watching NFL games, more than watching NBA, fantasy football is like what's up. But I hate what's happened to Colin Kaepernick. And when the the Ravens owner came out and said what he said to me that sealed the deal that this this you know he's being blackballed like those are my feelings before and I'm the guy who still doesn't believe that Barry Bonds was on steroids there hasn't been hard evidence <laughs> I'm that guy I'm that guy so when Bashadi came out and said what he said, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, this is this, yeah, this is exactly what's going on. It's they're like they're not even trying to hide it any, anymore. So I decided I was not going to play fantasy football this year because I have no reason to watch the NFL if I don't watch fantasy football. If I don't play fantasy football, I no longer have a team because I love fantasy football and it's about who can help my team. And if enough people do that, that will influence, negatively influence the TV ratings. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to be a master one and do that. 
Then I started thinking. This is how I communicate with some of my best friends is for four months during the season. And so I said no to one draft that I'm normally in, Royster's League. I said no to another opportunity Devon had. But that league, the Hamilton League, the league I've been in for 13 years, that's the league that's really tough. You know, we get together every year and do the draft, you know, out of state, guys I went to high school with. That's really difficult, and I don't know if I'm going to be strong enough to stay out of that. Um, so, Marcus, you originally asked the question. I don't think I've gotten to it yet. Would you mind asking again? <laughs> you did with it. You hit it, though. Yeah, I can most definitely ask you again. Um, it's just, do you think this is? Do you think the the multiple factions boycotting the NFL because of protests is going to impact the economics of the game? Uh, well, how do you think it's going to impact the game? Do you think it's going to have an impact or not? So since I've had my concession time, um, yeah, I think it will negatively impact the NFL because I believe there's going to be enough people. So, so you laid it out. There's two sides. There's people that are on the side I just described. There's other people that are disgusted at what Kaepernick did and don't feel that the NFL, like, feel like the NFL allowed it, and now what's going on now is just feeding to it. I feel that the NFL is going to lose out on both sides. And guess what? If they have 3% less people watching, it will influence the NFL's bottom line enough that they'll have to make some some big move. Three percent. Three percent. That's all. Wall Street Journal said if they had three percent of like a three percent shift of people not watching, that would be enough to influence advertisers um, to actually get a rebate on the amount of money that they're paying the NFL because in, in those contracts, generally there's, there's, there's a guarantee that the NFL has, and it's a very safe bet for them because these numbers are historical over the last 20 years that they can tell advertisers, hey, we're going to hit at least this minimum number of people watching commercials or watching the game. And you know what? Just to make you feel better, if we don't, we're going to rebate a certain like percentage of what you paid for advertising. If the NFL gets into that area, watch out. Watch out. I think that's a great point, and I think, you know, that's – listen, a part of me wants that to happen. <laughs> All right? I want that to happen because I think, you know, they need to recognize that fan bases in general um, – they 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 serve a wider audience than the fan base that maybe complained about Kaepernick, um, and they need to they need to honor that fan base just as much. Um, but I agree. I think there'll be some decisions made around the anthem. Um, here's my perspective on people getting mad, or even the NFL. Like we don't, and the anthem hasn't always been a thing where players have been out on the field. Um, there was a time where players weren't on the field during the anthem. The anthem happened while players were in the locker room. 
Um, I think it may go back to that. But to, you know, folks that want to say, well, you know, sports is an escape, you know, this, that, and the other, I can understand that. Um, but the other piece about it, and, and they don't want the, the politics in sports, when you start playing the national anthem at a sporting event and you make it so that people – you that's politics, right? You bring in the politics to the game, and you're assuming that everybody is feeling the same way about the country um, and about the flag and about what it represents and and – you know, the world isn't the world doesn't has to become more politically correct. It's just there are more voices, and you need to watch what you say. <laughs> There's more people in the room now. You need to watch what you say, um, and that's what I that that's usually my response to people that say, "Well, everything nowadays has to be so politically correct." Now nah, you just ain't hanging around people that look like you and think like you no more. And so now you got to watch what you say. All right, period. <laughs> All right, There's other people in the room now. You know, this ain't your little locker room world no more which is what it was before. Now you're in mixed company. Check yourself. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 this is going to be really interesting to see how all of this plays out. Um, and, you know, the anecdotal evidence is out there of people, you know, again, on both sides of the argument saying that they're going to step away from the game. Um, I've kind of made a personal commitment to this. Until I see something special happen, that makes me feel something different about football right now. I just can't stomach the game. Um, and I'm with you. Fantasy football, the connection, the community, I'm going to miss it. Um, I'm going to miss it a lot. Um, and I just got to figure out new ways. You know what I mean? I got to evolve, right? I got to figure out something else. Um, but that's a that's a commitment I'm willing to make because I believe in what happened – what's happening and I feel a certain type of way about what's happening. Um, so yeah. And hitting them sponsors is the other piece. You know, if people start targeting sponsors. You right. It's going to be something. It's not going, it's not, it's not going to be taken lightly. Uh, D wills. I want you to address the second question I had. What do you think about the concept that, or the statement that Michael Bennett made uh, on his six, uh, where he said that, the the movement or the the impact would be greater if white players stepped up and got involved. And we saw some. Um, we saw Chris Long um, come in, and I think it was Malcolm Jenkins. He put his hand on his shoulder while Malcolm Jenkins was doing his usual uh, pregame or national anthem protest. He, had, he raises his fist. Um, and Malcolm Jenkins does a lot of work. I mean, a lot of work um, in in, in – around the issue of police brutality, around the issue of police relationships with uh, populations of color. Um, he does a lot of work around that. Um, and then Chris Long is from Charlottesville. So they had a moment. Um, and then recently, I think it was the Cleveland Browns. Um, they had a group of players pray during the national anthem, um, and it was a mixed group. Um, and it was interesting. I can't remember the, the 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 guy's name, but one of the, a white player was in the in the group, and he got interviewed, and um, they were asking him questions, and he had a very interesting perspective. His perspective was, and I guess he's in a, a interracial relationship of some kind, but he said, "I'm raising I'm raising kids who don't look like me, um, and you know this issue matters to me." Um, do you think it's going to take white players getting involved or it should take white players to get involved? 
for this issue to become something that people give more credence to. Hey, I, absolutely, and not just white players. I mean, I think uh, coaches and other folks who um, make a living in a league that is predominantly black um, and the issue that's affecting a majority of the folks they work with. So, I mean, we talk about football. Like, football is one of the, uh, one, one of the few sports where um, the concept of team and success being tied hip-to-hip to people being on the same page is so important that uh, when an issue like this comes up, the reaction has to be collective. And so, yeah, I do agree. You know, if if if, if Tom Brady is okay for him to have a, a, you know, a, a, you know, a, a Trump hat and 45 hat in his locker and have uh, political statements and stuff like that, and they can speak out on certain issues, uh, and, and the fact that I, I know there are players there who, who understand it and can connect, those voices need to be heard. And I'm glad that some of those folks are beginning to – to speak up um, because, you know, there, there's a, there was a responsibility to lead to social justice issues. And that's where NFL, and you and I talked about some last podcast, they just have fallen short. Not enough just to make all this money. To what end? And I think part of the struggle they have is that they have an ownership group that is, in terms of this demographics, is so out of touch with these kinds of issues that that's where it starts, and they've created a culture. So, you know, you're going to need, you know, some influential white players who also uh, put something on the line. And so, you know, I think Benny hit it right on the head, um, and I'm, it's good to see some of these voices. Uh, Carr, Carr stepped up out in Oakland and uh, talked a little bit about it. Um, you know, he kind of, when he was asked about it, he kind of framed it in a way that wasn't as activist but it was clear that he was supporting the cause. So you begin to see that happen. Yeah. Um, and I think that's great. And I, I really do. I think that's an important piece of it because it, it it makes it an issue for everybody. But a piece of me is upset about that. Um, and I get why Bennett said it. Um, but why does it take for uh, – it, it goes back to uh, – the the most deaf song on black on both sides, Mr. N word. Um, and he had a line in the song that says, uh, when I start doing it, well, it's suspect when the white boy starts doing it. Well, it's success. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, how come it wasn't valid when you have voices of the people who are impacted by it expressing the discontent with what's going on, but it takes majority voices, privileged voices to then get engaged. And now people want to hear it. And that just perpetuates the privilege of it. Like, wait, when I, when I was saying this, it didn't matter. Now Chris Long is there. Now David Carr is there. Now, you know, this other play, you know, this player, that player is there. And now, you know, now it's a thing. Um, I, I think I think it's important, but I also think it's it's disheartening um, that yeah, it, it takes that. that. But my counter to that is that the civil rights movement was always a movement that involved, you know, had a multicultural picture to it. 
And so my no, that, and I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at yeah. all. I'm not saying that it can't be a multicultural thing. What I'm saying is, yeah. is that those voices can't validate the struggle. You feel me? Like yeah, I, the, the, yeah. the civil but rights you, had but you're working against there, a structure that's there, already set up that way. And other people yeah. walking arm in arm, but yeah. the experience, those people were there in support. They weren't there to 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 be the face for anybody else or the or the the mouthpiece for anybody else. You know what I'm saying? Like I think it's yeah, but I, think, I would say I think that. It, but I but I would say that there were some people who were very vocal in that space, and I, and I think that. So I understand what you're saying from that power structure, but I think that's an I think that even the the way in which some of these athletes are showing themselves is in that it's in that way. The hand on the shoulder isn't um I'm getting out in front of it. The hand on the shoulder is actually doing exactly what you're talking about. They understand that there's a struggle and that my 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 simple logic here is that I'm not getting out in front of it. I'm here, I'm just here with my brother. So they're not standing out in front of it in the way that 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 I think right, and I'm not saying so, that they are. I, yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying the yeah. players themselves are yeah. trying to do that. I'm not saying those yeah. individuals yeah. are trying to do that. Yeah. What I'm saying is yeah. is that those onlooking are now elevating that voice over the voice. Yeah. Of, like this person is trying to be supportive, but you're elevating their voice yeah. over the person that's actually protesting. There's something twisted yeah. about that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you're listening to the guy who's just like, I, I'm here for you, instead of the person who's actually saying, I have an issue. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you see what I'm saying? And that, that's but, but the that piece of it that I think is the twisted piece. La- yeah, and the fundamental question we asked in the last podcast is the NFL, if we put, frame it like this, a place where intellectually gifted and politically conscious black males can exist. That was our fundamental question that we, we began to explore. And I think I think that's where you're hitting at it. And I think that's part of – that is that fabric of – not just sports, but I think football has part of that. And football reflects as much of the microcosm of the issues we're dealing with today as any other sport because of the people who are invested in it. All those issues we're seeing on the national stage and the global stage exist in this thing for the reasons you're just saying. And so that's what makes it such a different space for doing this because it has a lot of those historical pieces that are hot button issues, even more so than basketball and some of these other sports. So I think in, I right. understand where you're coming from with that. Um, but change, hell, we all in the locker room. We can all fight for a game. Everybody needs to step up. And that, that's, and that's, that's the piece of, and that's the piece of this that, and that's the piece of this that, with, like this 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 thing, this this climate is reflected in the NFL's brand, and that's what the Kaepernick <laughs> situation kind of highlighted for me, is that. The NFL's brand is a certain appeals to a certain sect in our country um, a little bit more, and the NFL caters to a certain sect in our country a little bit more than others. And that's when I realized, like, okay, yeah, this ain't for me. And and that's where this this is another example of that, right? This is another example that, like, okay, well, oh look, Derek Carr's joining, and now this must mean something. It already meant something. You know what I mean? And then, so yeah, because Gordon Hayward doesn't need to wear an I Can't Breathe shirt, you know what I'm saying, for it to matter in the NBA. You know what I mean? Um, It don't matter if he wear one or not. It don't matter if J.J. Redick wear one or not, you know. Um, But that's different because you have the best players in your league 
stepping up and saying something. And that's another piece of this in the NFL is that you don't have the most influential, the guys who are indispensable, right? Jerry Jones wants to say that if any Cowboys does this, I'm going to fire him. Not if Zeke Elliott did it. I bet if Zeke, if, I bet if Zeke put a fist up during the anthem, Zeke going to be out there running next week. You ain't going to do nothing about it. <laughs> if that yep. put his fist up, ain't nothing finna happen. You know what I mean? If Dez put his fist up or, or or takes a knee during the anthem, all that tough talk going out the window. Oh, Jerry going to be signing them checks just like always. So I I, I think there's this – there's just there's just a lot of elements. Um, but I just thought that was interesting that, you know, for, for one, because I think Michael Bennett is a very intelligent brother, to make that plea. Um, yeah. I think, I think it's interesting. Um, I think it's interesting because of where his mind is at and potentially I think the, the feedback that he's getting – from either it's pressure or just feedback that he's getting from others is that like, you know, this is a you guys thing and you guys are making it about you guys. And I don't think, again, I don't think his plea was we need white voices for people to, to understand us. I think his plea was a, a plea to his, not to the public, but to his teammates. We bleed together, we sweat together, we fight together every day, we break bones, you know, we battle. And this is a battle that I'm as an individual are fighting. Um, My community is fighting. And if we are going to be brothers in competition, then I need a little bit of you to come fight this with me. That's right. Which, Which I think can be powerful, which I think can be powerful. We'll see how it evolves and how it continues to evolve. But unfortunately for fans of the Shield, it don't look like the anthem protests are going anywhere. <laughs> as far as That's going right. away. <laughs> right. um, and it seems more and more players are getting to that point where they want to voice their opinions and and uh, and get their use their platform to to push for change and, and make people aware. Um, and I think that's a beautiful thing. I really do. I really do. And I wish the league would embrace it. That's the one thing that would bring me back to football. If I could see uh, the league embrace and recognize that this is and it, this is something that a lot of your fans are experiencing as well. A lot of people that support this league are, ex- are experiencing this and living this reality. Um, that would bring me back. That would bring me back. If I could see the league make some strides towards embracing instead of trying to silence uh, those voices. That would be bold on, this, and, on the league's part. And that's the failure of a, of a Roger Goodell because as a commissioner, having the ability to understand the larger issues and having a way to communicate to the owners in a way to get them to understand it is something that you hope a commissioner can figure out how to do, but they just have failed in that department where in these other leagues, you're going to begin to see these commissioners excel beyond him in that space. And that's, I think that's where he hasn't, he hasn't demonstrated an ability to get owners to understand the larger issue. And I think that's, that's, that's the downfall for them. And so they kind of create this cycle where they can't get out of it. He can't, 
he can't do an NBA where you can have an owner sit down with, with with owners and really get them to understand some of the bigger pictures. They just don't have that dynamic big chemistry. Yeah. And this is a topic we'll follow throughout the season, but um, yeah, it's it's a it's a deal. It's a real thing, and I don't think it's going anywhere. And unfortunately, for again those that are frustrated by the or offended by the uh, national anthem celebrations, it wasn't a thing that you could get rid of Kaepernick and it was going to go away. Um, looks like it's something that is going to be a part of the NFL for the time being. So uh, that'll do it this edition of the Real Sports Guys RSG Renegade Radio RealSportsGuys.com brought to you by Carbon World Health make sure you check out Dr. Nestor Rodriguez and his amazing staff at Carbon World Health Uh, this is your one stop shop for all your lifestyle medicine needs make sure you hit them up and tell them that the Real Sports Guys sent you what happened to the two minute warning music where's it at Reclaiming oh, my time. Reclaiming my I'm time. Trying to get back on my computer. I'm trying to get back on my computer. I got logged out, man. I'm finna hit you with it. <laughs> I think it's still on here. Man, I've I've been waiting for Biggity to come on. <laughs> we we getting oh, our legs man. together. My screen being weird. I can't. Okay, I can scroll down now. Let me see. I'm trying to see if I see our little two minute warning joint. Yeah, it's not it's not on the board no more. Wow. Yeah, it's not on the wow. It's not on the board. Which I mean it's just not on the board. But uh it's all good. We're gonna we gonna roll out I got something to roll out too. We're gonna roll out. We're gonna roll out. Let's see, we're gonna roll out this here. We're gonna let this ride for a little bit. Yeah, that'll do it. For this edition of The Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. The three-man booth was back tonight in full effect. Uh, great show, gentlemen. Uh, thanks right. for the, the platform, D-Wills. Appreciate you putting all this together. PhD, glad to have you back. Uh, yeah. You got to teach me some hokey stuff. <laughs> gotcha. Like, what's y'all like... What y'all call or what, what y'all do? You know what I mean. Like you gotta teach me some of the traditions, man. Uh, but I'm 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 happy for you, man. Excited to see how how things develop for you out there. Uh, Virginia Tech, my man. Um, but yeah, that was for this edition of the show. Florida game. Once I let y'all know that, I'll keep you. I post. I'll get the Michigan Florida game. So I'll let y'all know that. Okay. Okay. All right. Got that hardball connection. That's right. <laughs> we working. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, we gonna ride out. Till next time. Peace. This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! 
And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.